Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Monday, May 15th. The sun is shining, the bees are buzzing, and spring magic is in the air. I'm Shelby Herbert, reporting for KFSK. The Petersburg Borough Assembly will hold five public meetings during its regular meeting tonight at 6 p.m. In this report, the Assembly is seeking public feedback on hiking utility rates and raising the fines for creating wake in the, har- uh, the public harbors. The public hearings are about five ordinances the Assembly approved in their first readings in early May. One is for a proposed 6% increase on public sewer utility rates. The Assembly unanimously approved this ordinance in its first reading. The Assembly will also hear comments about a proposed change to the Petersburg Municipal Code on residential use of boats in the public harbors. If adopted, no more than 10% of the moorage spaces in the harbors may be used by liveaboard vessels from May through October, except at the discretion of Petersburg's harbor master. The change would also prohibit renting out vessels in the harbor for residential purposes. This would effectively ban using boats as a vacation rental or a bed and breakfast. The ordinance would not prevent overnight lodging on short-term passenger ships as part of a cruise. Finally, this ordinance would also increase the penalty for speeding and excessive wake around the harbors from $50 to $200. The ordinance was unanimously approved in its first reading. The Assembly will also take public comments on a budget for fiscal year 2024. In an April 24th budget work session, the Assembly decided on a $1.5 million increase over last year. A million of that is earmarked for Petersburg's public schools. The Petersburg School District is asking for a budget increase of a million dollars to offset major shortfall from last year and to ensure local schools can continue regular programming. The budget was unanimously approved in its first reading. The public can also give testimony on an ordinance that would authorize the harbor master to enforce local traffic and parking laws at the borough's harbor facilities. It would establish a $25 penalty for parking violation in Petersburg's harbors. This ordinance was unanimously approved in its first reading. The Assembly will also take public feedback on an ordinance that would allow federally recognized tribes, state and federal agencies, and nonprofits to buy borough property for less than its assessed value. That's if the borough determines that allowing them to do so is in the best interest of the public. The Assembly unanimously approved the ordinance to move forward after its first reading. Also at the meeting, the Assembly will hear a report from the borough's housing task force. Assembly member and chair of the group, Dave Kensinger, will update the Assembly on the rollout of a needs assessment survey. The Assembly will address two items of new business in this meeting. One is setting the millage rate, or the amount of tax payable per dollar, for the assessed value of a property. One is setting the millage rate, or the amount of tax payable per dollar for the assessed value of a property. If approved, the ordinance will set next year's mill rate inside Service Area 1 at 10.84 mills, and the mill rate outside Service Area 1 at 4.2 mills. Finally, the Assembly will complete its first reading of an ordinance to replace the borough's alternate representative for the Southeast Alaska Solid Waste Authority. The current representative for the group, Carl Hagerman, who is also the borough's utility director, requested that the Assembly appoint sanitation supervisor Aaron Merrill. For KFSK, I'm Shelby Herbert. 
Petersburg's borough assembly will meet at 6 p.m. tonight in the assembly chambers. KFSK will broadcast that meeting live and post the recording on our website, kfsk.org. Anyone from the community can join the meeting in person, by phone, or on Zoom. At 12.30 today, tune in to KFSK for Borough Business, a call-in program featuring local assembly members. There's more information on KFSK's community calendar. Barring a stay or successful appeal or other 11th hour legal action, there will be no troll fishery for king salmon in southeast Alaska, either this summer or winter. The fisheries have been canceled by order of the U.S. District Court of Western Washington on largely procedural grounds, stemming from a violation of the Endangered Species Act and the failure of the National Marine Fisheries Service to fully address the impact of Alaska's king salmon trollers on an endangered population of orcas in Puget Sound called Southern Resident Killer Whales. No other salmon species or commercial gear group or sport fishery Anywhere on the entire Pacific Northwest coast is affected by the order. Just commercial trolling for king salmon in southeast Alaska. Heading out every July 1st in search of Alaska's most valuable salmon, also called Chinook, has been an annual ritual across the region since before statehood. Shortly after the court order came down, Robert Woolsey met with three trollers to discuss what no king salmon season will mean for them, personally and professionally. In part one of this conversation, Eric Jordan, Jackie Foss, and Jim Moore discuss the practical implications of a summer without Chinook. The cost of a boat exists whether or not the king salmon fishery happens or not. You have to pull it out of the water. You have to maintain your zincs. There's work that you have to have just to make sure your boat stays fishing. And so that's still happening for us. Um, how we're going to pay for it? is less certain i'm confident that we're going to have a season i'm confident that uh that the king salmon season is going to open july 1st i feel that um we have so much support our congressional delegation is working behind the scenes um state of alaska uh, throwing its full weight into the into the fight. Alaska Trollers Association are we're co-defendants with the National Marine Fisheries Service in the state of Alaska, and um, everybody's working pretty hard to uh, to make sure that we're out on the out on the water this summer. I don't know exactly how it's going to happen. It's a legal court case, and so you know. Different parties hold their cards close, uh, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm confident we're going to go ahead. So I'm 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 planning on going ahead. I always appreciate sitting next to Jim and his optimism because I don't always go there. The decision last week was a gut punch, and it's it's fishing is how I can afford to raise my family in Sitka. So it's really affected me in sort of a more existential way. Who, who are we if we're not fishermen? Who are we if we're not catching king salmon on our boat? But it's already affected boat values. I just had a survey. My boat, uh, on a, what I would say is a very optimistic estimate, even though I've made improvements since the last survey, has lost about 20% of its value. 
right away. People can't sell their boats. I spent a whole week before this latest decision preparing to sell uh, gear at the Fisherman's Flea Market because I'm getting ready to retire and I have thousands of dollars of really good surplus gear. That's basically worthless right now except for the chum troll and coho gear, but thousands of dollars of king salmon plugs and spoons are just basically worthless. Emotionally, I have to call crew and tell them the situation. Some of them who just love fishing king salmon. We we do really well chum trolling, and as Jim and I helped pioneer that, but I've had crew members cry when I've told them that we're going to go chum fishing instead of king salmon fishing. You know, it's a it's more of a spiritual problem than a financial one because, like, fishermen are scrappy people. We will always figure out how to make expenses somehow. It's just, it's just we'd be broken in some way doing that, if that makes sense. You know, not catching king salmon has a huge, huge impact to our financial bottom line, 40% of our income. And so there's the argument like, well, you can find the other 40%. Well, that 40% allows us to make the other 60%. So it's not like you can just make up that amount of income somewhere else on the water or some other fishery. It's, um, it's really holistic. There's a miraculous, wondrous thing about catching king salmon and pursuing them all over the coast from Dixon Entrance, like Jim's fish from Forrester Island to Cape Suckling. And the chum troll fishing is not going to save us. It's going to help. Having fished a long time, I've seen a lot of changes in the fishery. And I, and I have to say that when I bought my first boat, people said, there's no future in it. It's over. It's had its heyday, and it's going down. But I've seen this cycle of uh, boom and bust, optimism, pessimism, several times. And that's one reason why, you know, if, if we're looking at grief over this court case, I'm in the first stage. Denial. <laughs> That was Robert Woolsey speaking with trollers Eric Jordan, Jackie Foss, and Jim Moore. In part two of this conversation, the group will explore the importance of King Salmon to the identity of trollers. The federal government has agreed to buy almost $120 million in Alaska sockeye and ground fish products. It's a win for the state's marketing branch, which had some help from Alaska's congressional delegation. And as Izzy Ross reports from Dillingham, people in the industry say it's good news just ahead of the next fishing season. Bristol Bay fishermen harvested a record-breaking 60 million sockeye last summer. That flooded the market with a surplus of salmon. And earlier this month, the U.S. Department of Agriculture agreed to help with that glut by purchasing almost $120 million of canned and filleted sockeye and ground fish. But that's not going to clear out the storehouses and shelves. As far as, you know, fixing the problem of such a, you know, a giant harvest from last year, it's not going to fix anything, but it's certainly going to help in a big way, in a really big way. 
Bruce Schockler works with the Alaska Seafood Marketing Institute. He says they asked the USDA to buy Alaska seafood for their food assistance programs last fall when they knew there would be a surplus. It kind of got stalled for whatever reason, so we asked the three members of our congressional delegation to provide some encouragement to hurry this along, and uh, that was clearly successful. Alaska's congressional delegation submitted a joint letter to the USDA at the end of March, asking the department to commit to buying millions of pounds of sockeye and pollock. That pressure helped cut through the competition, Schockler says, since there's only so many federal dollars to go around. The folks up in the Northeast Atlantic, they want to, they want to sell fish, and they do. And the catfish guys and the Gulf shrimp guys and the West Coast ground fish people. And then you're also competing with those same dollars with walnuts, pistachios, and fruits and vegetables. It took eight months for the USDA to agree to make the purchase. And Schockler doesn't know how long it will take to actually distribute the fish. There's a lot of things that need to happen now. they got to decide where they're going to ship it, how much they're going to ship, when they're going to ship. Is it going to be to Omaha in October? Is it going to be Los Angeles in June? Still, he says the timing of the announcement is encouraging. As the Copper River sockeye fishery kicks off, putting fresh fish on the market. So... This is going to provide some relief. It's going to move some product. That just in time for the summer fishing season. In Dillingham, I'm Izzy Ross. A bill that would prohibit housing and lending discrimination in Alaska based on sexual orientation and gender identity appears stalled in the State House of Representatives despite a last-minute lobbying push. Based on current state law, the Alaska Commission for Human Rights only investigates complaints related to employment discrimination against LGBTQ Alaskans. Representative Jennifer Armstrong, an Anchorage Democrat, says having additional basic legal protections in place for the estimated 10 percent of Alaskans who identify as LGBTQ would go a long way. With just a few days before the end of the session, Armstrong and the bill's other sponsors organized a last-minute group that included transgender teenagers and gay veterans who met with legislators and the governor in Juneau. They shared stories of discrimination they had faced and the impacts. The bill's sponsors say they think it could pass if it came to a vote on the full House floor. But that's unlikely this session. The bill is currently in the House Judiciary Committee and hasn't been scheduled for a hearing. A last-minute vote by the full House on Friday to force the bill to advance narrowly failed. After the vote, Armstrong said she would continue to push for it next legislative session. I am heartbroken. I am going to go back and have to tell all of my friends in the community, um, and they're going to see who's not on their side and who didn't think that that was, you know, worth taking that vote. And I think that's a sad thing, but I also feel hopeful that between now and next year that we will make progress. The last day of the regular uh, legislative session is Wednesday, May 17th. 